think at some level, you have to at minimum believe that it's already working somewhere. Hey Coconuts, welcome back to another episode of TFC Stock Geek Out. You know, today we have somebody really interesting. We have Jeremy here, he's a founder, so he's an operator, he knows how to run a business, but he went to the other side of the table, turned to that side, and is now a VC. So, you know, he, he's seen both sides of it, but, and, and he, he's, you know, well-versed in the capital markets, um, well-versed in private markets, and, you know, what we want to talk to him today here, and he's a very special guest, is really to talk about an industry, right? You know, we, we have heard so much about tech whether everybody wanted to invest in tech last year up to november and and everybody doesn't want to invest in tech this year right because tech is dead and we, we go back to commodities and, and all that so hi jeremy welcome thanks thanks for taking the time to do this hi anthony it's a pleasure to be here um a little bit of myself i'm a vc amongst ventures uh, investing in founders who will transform millions of lives across Southeast asia i'm mm-hmm. also a former founder who's built two companies uh one was bootstrap one which was venture funded um, and then I've also uh, run uh, the Brave Southeast Asia Tech Podcast, which is a global top 10% podcast at www.jeremyow.com, where we focus on you know founder community resources and uh, stories about personal leadership stories across Southeast Asia. So happy to be here. Yeah, thanks. And, and I mean, your, your, I mean, I listened to a few podcasts of, of yours, and they are great, right? It, it's a lot. I mean, we, we are very investing focused here, but on, on your side, you know, it's really a lot about the stories, about the people, and then about the companies, right? Which really provides a different lens. But I think for today's episode itself, you know, I, we, we just wanted to talk a bit about tech, right? And I think we, you know, and, and this is maybe a bit that, interest people or confuses people sometimes because we, we talk about tech but it's everything from you know google and and facebook sorry meta never get never getting used to that but you know google meta apple kind of tech to um like cloudfare um crowdstrike you know cybersecurity to well even earlier stage ones like like uber which is really a transport company and all that right so can you give us a bit of your, your thoughts on what you think about the different type of tech stocks and, and how we can kind of you know, split them into categories that makes it a bit easier to apply different mental models to each of these. Yeah. So the, the most basic question is, what is a technology stock? And that's interesting because if you look at almost all of the public stocks today, they are all built on technology, right? You know, you obviously have P&G, yep. Unilever. These are consumer packaged good companies that are using technology day in, day out, mm-hmm. right? They're using manufacturing for the goods. They obviously use the internet to coordinate themselves. And of course, you know, they're built on fundamental technologies like electricity and wireless and you know, security. There's a whole bunch of different things that lets them build what they have to do. Um, all the way to even Raytheon, right? Which is defense technology, right? Which is about building bombers and missiles. And then they're very technology forward. You know, the company is mostly all engineers and people who work with engineers in terms of manufacturing. Um, and of course, we have companies that we start to think of more as tech today. So Palantir would be an ex- example for forward deployed engineers with the you know, US government, uh, all the way to yep. Meta uh, or Apple, which is doing some level of hardware plus software, a combination, a portal, um, all the way to more recent entrants, right? So we look at Grab and Bukalapak and a whole bunch of like uh, you know companies that are more techish, right? And so I think we just have to be thoughtful that when you say technology stock, you know, we're actually talking about the fact that um, the past 200 years has seen these continuous waves of 
technological innovation. And each wave of innovation is creating a new wave of companies, right? I mean, I always tell people like, you know, General Electric, right? You know, it used to be publicly traded, it used to be the number one. And it's called General Electric because they were built on one technology alone. It was called electricity, right? You know, and they were like, yep. great, we figured out electricity, let's yep. make electric power plants, electric lines, electric transmission, electric power, uh, microwaves, electric you know, locomotives, you know, they're trying, they even try to make electric cars right back then. Uh, and so General Electric is basically like this, uh, you know, what's the, you know, meta of his day, right? You know, which was like very clearly a technology yep. company. And now we look at them as a defensive conservative stock, right? And so I think there's an interesting dynamic today that, um, you know, is an interesting time for us to be investing in technology and the future and the stocks that represent mm-hmm. that future. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, in, in a nutshell, if, if we are talking, I mean, my impression of it, you know, if you're talking about technology today, it's, it's really internet-enabled businesses mm. in that sense, right? So, yeah. you know, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, every time humanity has made a leap forward, it's, it's always a form of technological process, right? Even zooming back to the agricultural ages, you know, being able to mow, plow your fields, right? Using animals, so that, that was a technological leap. And, and electricity itself was obviously a huge technological leap uh, together with the steam engine and all of that so you know and but i think in recent times at least because of of the way that we have been progressing you know what we seem to categorize as tech you know tends to be internet linked right or internet enabled so we think about things like grab you know um which is well internet taxi booking (laughs) in 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 a very very rough sense right of course they do a lot more than that but yeah i think that that's a good way to think about it so you know is there anything you, you'd like to tell us more about, I guess, the, the different types of tech or, or how we, we can kind of think about or analyze you know, these, this sector generally? Yeah, and I think today when we think about tech, you know, I think there are two parts of it, right? And this is what we started to unpack. The first part is the mm-hmm. ways of technological uh, adoption. And the second one is the prior history of the, of the business model before they went public, right? Or they got listed for public activity. Yep. And so what I mean by that is, you know, when we think about technology stocks, we often what it implies that they're built on multiple waves of technology. And these are all, you know, from what is now historical, we take it as a given, the stuff that is starting to mature or is relatively mature, the stuff that is barely coming out, right? And so we see all these companies always and always, you know, innovating, disrupting themselves, trying to change. So for example, we saw Facebook, they were very much what I call like, some people like to call them Web 1.0 you know, uh, or 2.0, depending on you know, how charitable they are. But a concept is like social networking, etc. But they made the leap to not only do you know desktop Facebook, but also use mobile devices. And now they're entering the VR and Metaverse. So you know they're kind of like trying to keep in touch with that. And we see the same for Apple, right? They started out desktops, then they went on to uh, phones and iPods, and then now they're going down to even you know in the future they're exploring cars and uh, you know, AR or VR glasses, depending on the rumors. So they're also catching up with each rate of technology adoption. Um, and even we just mentioned Grab, you know, it's not just the fact that it's an internet company, but also the fact that consumers had smartphones to be able to call Grab when they're standing out in the rain. And these consumers are no longer in America. These consumers are in Southeast Asia. So Southeast Asia people now have the GDP per capita to have the phones and the mobile data access to access, a, you know, a taxi service, right? And so I think that's the, the tricky part when we say technology company is, you know, you know one man technology company is another person's defensive stock or mature in a company. Yep. And so I think we use the word technology sometimes to also code for what we call exciting or the future or disruption. And 
that's why I say so. Loss making. Uh, making as well. Um, so I think you always have to watch out a little bit when you use the word technology stock because you know you're like, is like, are you trying to sell me something? <laughs> are you trying to sell me a stock? Or, you know what? You know, you know, like you know, instead of saying like, okay, this is a you know mature stock, this is a growth stock, this is a um, you know something that has good free cash flow to someone that's not right. And so I think I think you just have to be thoughtful about the word technology. There's so many companies that are using te- technology today, right? Uh, I think the second part, I think, where we commonly use the word technology, I think is, I think the concept that it has been venture-backed or that it has been cash flow uh, negative or that it has been doing a high net cash burn is not yet profitable. It's not spitting out free cash flows before it went public. And maybe when they have gone public, uh, they may still not be uh, you know, uh, free cash flow positive. And so what's interesting is that, you know, that's very novel actually. And what we mean by that is that Say up to 20 years ago, you know, if you're on the public markets and you're losing money, you better have a really good reason as a CEO to explain why you're doing so. You're like, you're <laughs> investing to enter a new geography, you know, a new vertical, um, you're fighting competitors. And those were the decisions that, you know, primarily decided the fact that you had a high free cash flow, you got more because you're paying on dividends or, you know, people were bullish on you. And if you had low to negative, then you had a lower stock price, right? Um, but what's different? is that is that the the world in terms of the globalization the open borders uh the rate of venture capital in the private markets um the quality of founders today who are having that mindset to not just win the local market but to win in multiple markets or even across the world means that it's now possible um, to build billion dollar companies or hit that hundred million dollars of revenue uh, within 10 years or 15 years which was just not possible i mean you know, during World War Two, or right after it, it was impossible. Uh, World War One, between World War One and World War Two, you have been totally uh, pinched by both sides. And before World War One, there was a whole bunch of wars that made it such that companies had to be built very slowly, steadily, with a lot of um, contractions uh, in between due to geopolitical risk. Mm-hmm. But now, you know, these companies are just going from straight from zero to a hundred million dollars of revenue. And then they enter the market, the public markets, because they might need more capital or they want to get exit liquidity uh, for their prior shareholders uh, that have been part of the ride. And the market gets to choose, right? I think uh, there are still companies that are tech companies that were net burn uh, for the time they were private. And then they are positive by the time they list and shown they are able to be positive. And there are still companies that are still negative even when they list on the market, right? And the public market... Uh, in the former case, gets to decide and say, okay, you know, they're now cash flow positive. What do we expect the future growth to be? Uh, but there's a new set of uh, technology companies where they're burning cash and require the capital, retail investors and so, so forth um, to do one more round, you know, one, two, three, four more years of that burn. Uh, but they feel confident to do so, right? And I think that's a really interesting dynamic for retail investors and everybody else. To be like, okay, you know, I know how to value PNG versus Unilever versus even a mature tech company like Google or Facebook that have been profitable. Uh, but how do I value a company, you know, for example, like Snapchat, which only recently posted its first, you know, positive, uh, you know, free cash flow in ages, right? After so many years that's been on the public markets versus companies like Grab or Bookalapak or uh, GoTo slash, you know, the merger of uh, Gojek and Tokopedia. How do we even think about uh, understanding the financials. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, there's a lot of interesting points there. I thought the scale one was really interesting because, and, and that's kind of the beauty of this leap in technology, right? Um, being, being the internet, it's just everything is inherently 
global now. You know, um, winning the local market just sometimes it, it's or, or winning a global market can be about the same effort as winning the, the local market. So or, or just a bit more effort. So you know that that's I think an an interesting thing that this level of technology or, or this wave of technology adoption has has kind of spurred in in terms of companies. Um, expanding and and having to and being able to reach you know higher amount higher valuations. I re- I remember I think when I was back in uni, probably twelve years ago, being a unicorn like one billion valuation was like you know, a magical thing, right? And now it's like you have unicorns everywhere. <laughs> uh, well, not not really everywhere, but you know there, there's a lot more of them now, <laughs> definitely. But I think I want to dive in a bit deeper with you about you know the the, the stage of markets and and how. Companies come to mar- public markets earlier, right? So you know we, we were talking about the the markets changing slightly from you know ten twenty years ago it used to be companies that were making money, right? It were had positive earnings, and that's why PE ratio was important to Buffett and all of that because they were all making money, right? And and now we 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 have moved slowly towards well, we don't really need them to be have earnings. Do they have free cash flow, right? Or do they even have and, and and that's one and and in last year's spec last year's spec boom and even more of that you you went even earlier than that right you went to pre revenue sometimes even pre product companies you, they just had an idea they have a few patterns they they haven't built anything and and they have listed right via spec or something else um so two two questions one is you know how much of this you know and is really VC pushed in the sense that well VC is kind of need an exit so there we go and and the other is you know is is this really an a good way of dealing with public markets and in a sense, you know, putting your VC hat on, how should we think about companies that are maybe at the earlier stage of their growth path but have somehow come to public markets? Yeah, it's not uncommon uh, to some extent, you know, um, you know, for example, if you look at the biotech world, right, I think we see a lot of uh, drug candidates, mm-hmm. companies that are researching a certain drug profile, they've hit FDA stage one, stage two, you know, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, their, yep. you know, clinical validation about whether it's safe for humans, whether there's efficacy. And, you know, I think it's still quite a long road for them before they go public. Uh, but it's interesting that the public still gets to trade on them today. And there's a large number of retail investors that just spend their time investing in the biotech space uh, and reading the public reports about, you know, their drug profiles. Um, and the reason why that happens is because, you know, there, there historically hasn't been too much private market funding for these companies. But also mm-hmm. what is known uh, for everybody is that uh, these uh, drug companies are actually uh, good acquisition targets, right? Uh, in terms of uh, yeah. for Pfizer and the larger global pharma companies that effectively have a global license of monopoly on the ability to produce uh, that drug candidate once it's been proven out. Um, and so I think you know, retail investors can invest with the knowledge that, you know, if they succeed in profiling the right company and so, so forth, then, uh, yeah, a larger company is going to take over and scale that 10x or 100x. I mean, you know, uh, that's how you have, you know, uh, for example, COVID vaccines were very much built on that same mRNA technology yep. that was listed on public markets. You know, you could get exposure to it uh, before COVID. And then, you um, if you're right, you uh, not only help save the world by giving them liquidity, uh, but you also were able to scale um, uh, and also uh, make bank, right? As uh, you know, uh, that technology yep. in some extent was replicated by Pfizer to go ahead and then we uh, um, had Moderna and uh, everybody was doing it, right? And you could, ex- um, and so I think there's an interesting dynamic where, you know, I think there's a good example mm-hmm. of technology that or companies that just were not, profit-making, uh, but, you know, 
provided yep. great outcomes uh, at the end of the day for folks, right? And um, I think what's interesting is that that same thinking has now um, permeated, I think, the you know technology-enabled or software as a service or cybersecurity, you know, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but these new technology verticals where um, I think the management team is coming up and saying, mm, you know, we do have a plan to, you know, global or regional domination. Uh, and these are the signs that shows that it works, um, that's validated and audited. Uh, and these are the things we have to believe together and we need this capital to make it happen. Right? Um, mm-hmm. I think my advice, you know, is for folks who are thinking about doing this is to be thoughtful about it. Uh, because I think differentiating between what is historical fact or what is historical financials is very, very clear and actually very distinct from what the management is sitting down and saying that this is what we need to believe together. And I think one of the big issues is that mm-hmm. I think the classic retail investor just kind of like takes the whole thing and they say, oh, I treat this the same way Warren Buffett, uh, Berkshire Hathaway talks about the companies, right? And you're just like, whoa, hold up, right? Yeah. You know, they you know they say they're going to win in <clears throat> let M, but they have, are not yet in let M or they are in the you know, fourth place in let M, right? And then, you know, you can't, yeah. Uh, take that in the same, um, you know, level is is the larger hypothesis or, you know, uh, belief point that you have to assess yourself independently. And I think, um, you know, there's a big piece. Um, you know, I still remember, you know, when uh, uh, I used to be on a bus um, in California. Uh, and I remember when uh, I was sitting in the front and then I started talking to the stranger beside me. And, you know, he shared about how, you know, he's retired, he's part of the Sierra Clubs, and he invested in this technology company called Tesla. Uh, and, you know, he really <laughs> believed in it, it's going to save the world, and, you know, it's going to be great. And I looked at him and I was just like, I mean, at that time, I didn't have much capital to invest anyway. But I was just like, isn't it? Aren't they in the news for just losing a lot of money and, <laughs> you know, not being able to produce a scale? And he was just like, yeah, but... You know, Elon Musk has a plan and he's explained exactly how he's going to do it. It's something of luxury and, you know, he's got, he's done it already. Now he's going to do mass market, mass premium. Then he's going to do mass and he's going to do, uh, you know, trucks or SUV equivalents. And then I was like, well, he's proven on the luck side, but he hasn't proven, you know, mass premium or mass category. It's a totally different level of scale. And I, the truth is everybody was kind of laughing. I, you know, if you pull out the reports, I mean, all the public... Um, statements by you know companies and CEOs that were running public automobile companies were I think rightfully skeptical and saying like hey you know there's a difference between what they produce which is you know ten thousand cars you know and you know the millions of cars that we make today right uh, but you know the truth yeah. is you know uh, my fellow passenger on the bus you know watching the view of California go by between LA and San Francisco you know, he was right and he paid off and I hope he held that position because, you know, he made bank, you know. Yeah, well, yeah, he, he probably doesn't need to take a bath anymore if he held on to that position. Exactly, right? Uh, so, so I thought, you know, I, I think that's the thing, right? It's like, you know, the, the, there's a lot of great reward because the same level of growth rate that they exhibited between the time they were private to the time they went public, if they are able to keep growing and even transition to free cash flow, that double assumption, is really the crux for why people want to invest in growth technology stocks. It's because they're saying like you can keep up or keep up most of that initial velocity and momentum, uh, and you're able to eventually spit out that free cash flow from the whole business, right? Um, and that takes uh, a lot of thinking, uh, more deep thinking than if you were to invest in something yeah. that has been relatively predictable. Uh, you know, CPG cycles 
or you know you know exactly how it's going to perform in times of high inflation or high interest right and those are very different environments you yep. know you could be a high interest low inflation you could be low interest high inflation it could be high interest high inflation and you actually know how cpg goods companies are going to perform and you also know how oil and mm-hmm. gas companies are going to perform because they've really gone through several super cycles of it um so it's interesting to yep. for all of us to figure out you know growth tech together yeah so i, I mean just maybe delving a bit more into growth tech before we, we go into the, the other aspects you know i mean a lot there's a lot of things to consider right and you know, a lot of times it's really the, the blue sky thinking. This is how we are going to get there, and and you you kind of miss out the hundred steps, hundred things that need to go right along the way for for them to get there. But you know, I think in in your estimation at least, what would be the more interesting or or the key, more key factors to to think about when the you know when we're evaluating these type of companies? Is it something like you no know, product market fit? Um, is it something like founders because you want them to be able to build a following in, in the social media age and get a cult, uh, cult-like or, or belief, right? Belief in the markets. That's probably the nicest way to put it. Um, or, or is it or is it something else? Yeah, I, I think you know, several things to watch out for is I think you have to look at, first of all, um, the company, right? The historicals, right? So how's that performance mm-hmm. been, their financials, a top-down basis. Uh, but, you know, you have, I think try your best to really go down one or two levels deeper or three levels deeper, which is, you know, how's it performing on a vertical basis? How's it performing on a geographic basis? Which areas are they performing well in and which areas are they investing in slash and areas that they are, you know, competing or trying to catch up, right? And um, by the time they go public, often mm-hmm. these companies are in multiple ge- geographies, uh, multiple products. And so it's really important for you to have that teardown to really understand, you know, how is, uh, is lifetime value and, you know, custom acquisition costs performing in, this market versus another market versus the third market. And what you're trying to look for, I think at a deep level is, I think at some level, you have to at minimum believe that it's already working somewhere. And that's hard because, you know, um, the truth is, you know, Tesla was making it work for a very small number of cars. And I think that's what uh, my, you know, fellow bus passenger saw, right? It's like he made it work for luxury. and. The ability for him to make it work is a function of the team's capability to execute and a conviction they're able to repeat that for mass premium and mass and keep going, right? And uh, that was just a really uh, tough decision to make, right? Um, uh, vice versa, I mean, you know, uh, you know, there are companies, for example, um, where you have exposure to these companies um, via mezzanine deals, right? Uh, or on a private market, so you could have mm-hmm. ex- access, for example, to SpaceX, right? And you know, it's a very similar company, same founder, uh, very different vertical. And again, you can see that it worked, right? You know, I mean, the fossil many times, you know, um, the rockets kept exploding, right? So it just did not work, all right? <laughs> but I think if you dug yep. deeper into it, you could be like, yeah, you know, even though, they, you know, for 10 of them, they all exploded. They all exploded, you know, a little bit later than everybody else, right? You know, the previous ones before. Because, you know, they figure out something, some component, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I think this goes to the second point, which is, you know, kind of really about a category, right? So what about a category? Is it, you know, does it lend itself to network effects, learning curves, economies of scale, economies of scope, uh, government subsidies, uh, low competition, high barriers to entry? And I think that's why people are so excited about SpaceX, for example. It's just that, you know, right now, you know, as of, you know, uh, 10 years ago, you know, you know, the only people who could launch rockets was, you know, you know, it was like the Russians, 
the Americans and the Chinese, right? Pretty much, right? Yeah. It, it, it was a government activity, yeah. right? It wasn't a private exactly, activity. Exactly, right? And so what he was kind of, they were kind of saying is like, if we can make this re- reusable, um, you know, we can make, you know, costs drop by order of 10, order, order of 100. Heck, you know, some estimates go down to order of 1,000, you know, um, because, you know, if you factor in a cost that your cost per satellite to make a satellite yourself is also dropping, right? Last time you had to make a giant one, then you can make it micro, now you can make it nano, you know, so, you know, this, your satellite is getting smaller and smaller. So, your, 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 for the same level of utility, you know, the cost to launch is actually dropping by orders of magnitude. So, you know, that's an incredible uh, market to go after because then you're just saying, like, you know, you're competing against government back. Uh, conglomerates um, and these are relatively uh, more heavyweight they're slower to react you know they have a certain way of belief points so yeah so you know uh, SpaceX was like you know we can do that and then of course everybody was like well the companies aren't good enough uh, even today uh, you know and they were like because there isn't enough cargo even though you can make it cheap nobody's gonna you know is it passengers etc and then they're like well SpaceX was like well we'll make our own global Starlink internet service <laughs> internet. because you know we have it and we have a new product category and then everyone was like oh my gosh it's genius right because you know if you've got cost and then internet and then suddenly you're fighting all the telcos around the world uh, who are not going to service the midwest you know you know it's um like you know you know <laughs> you know it's not going to service the you know central asia to some extent it's not going to service you in the jungles or borneo um you know these are things that are not really going to service the same level or magnitude that you would in a urban area right um and so it's a huge disruption of technology and then you know this open up another billion dollar category for themselves and the truth is they can continue building a whole bunch of different billion dollar total addressable markets and they have a huge advantage of course because for anybody else you and i can't enter it because you and i could potentially you know compete with you know online food ordering service because you know it's actually quite easy to make the app today you could probably make the app for a thousand dollars off the shelf uh, you know, and go find restaurants to list, you know, and promise them a low commission. Yep. But you and I can't build, you know, a space rocket ourselves, you know, because it's going to go boom, right? And and even more so with the today's the world, you know, um, the, you know, the rocket space industry is out uh, due to current geopolitical components. Uh, people are not, you know, Chinese space industry is primarily for the Chinese uh, uh, business mm-hmm. or consumer market. Uh, so, you know, SpaceX pretty much has the whole, you know, Western world or, you know, whatever you want to call that as the lowest cost launch provider, right? Um, so it's going to be incredible, um, I think, growth story um, on the public markets um, as they kind of like add that more and more. Um, uh, and I think the public will love it. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's just kind of, wait, they, SpaceX hasn't been listed No, yet, they have right? not I been listed yet. Been a lot of- uh, but, you know, it's nice to be part of that as an investor. So, you know, we're all kind of waiting and we're just waiting for, you know, we think it's going to be an incredible growth story uh, because, you know. Yeah, no, I, I think, well, mezzanine anything, you know, if you can underwrite the risk, it's, it's going to be great return. Well, right? well, there's a lot of risk. You, know, you can level. be mezzanine in, uh, and financial. <laughs> yes. There were a couple of friends who did that. And some people are mezzanine and education tech in China. And more of them, unfortunately, oh, that, that's uh, just... you know, the shortest loss and, you know, you know, uh, and yep. then you have a lot of capital <laughs> locked up for an unknown period of time for when they can eventually go public, right? And I think the reason why I share this story is because it, yeah, it shares, you know, like what the last stage of capital is kind of thinking about how they should be preparing to go out to public. Yeah, and, and I think that's that's about right, right? You know, and, and 
uh, to be honest, especially with the spec boom, there, there have been a lot of companies that have come public, which you know might not necessarily have come public uh, 10 years ago. Right, and I'm thinking about companies like um, I don't know if you're familiar, Autonomo, which is this connected, connected vehicle data provider. Um, so so they take um you know data from vehicles, they clean it up, they they sell it off to help you do fleet management and all of that. They have like five hundred thousand in revenue, but got a billion dollar you know valuation on public markets, right? Because due to froth and and all of that, you know, and and when you are looking at companies like this, uh, part of it is seeing what the best case is, which is what management is telling you. And, and part of it is going, well, but is this really true? And, and digging a bit deeper to see whether the market dynamics and, and as you have pointed out, you know, their ability to execute, whether that has actually come to the fore, right? Because if, it, if it's all dreaming and, and they haven't actually managed to sell or managed to build too much, then that's a bit of a red flag, even if they have a decent valuation now. Yeah, so so that that's really interesting, and and it's a nice you know I guess private <laughs> inside lens in, into public markets, right? J- just due to the, the type of companies that we're talking about, but m- maybe just a bit more on the more developed par- um, you know public entities in that sense, um, more developed than Grab, for example. So so I I feel Grab is still kind of you know mid stage because they they have. They have they have built a business. They have you know obviously won a few markets. They are entering into more markets to try to win them, but you know, and and they are trying to build out new product lines with their fintech and all that. But you know they they are still a bit cash flow negative. I think from from the last earnings report. So there's some evidence of execution, but you know they 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 need a bit more to go. But what about something like you know Meta? Right, they 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 won a wave, so so they won social media for a bit, and and now they they are getting challenged on social media. User growth is slowing, and and they're trying to find the next big thing, right? How how is it kind of the the same lens in the sense that you know for their next big thing where we are trying to open up you know another five hundred billion dollar market, there is going to be a lot of underwriting of risk, a lot of you know willing a lot of ability to try to hold your nose and you know ex- accept those valuations and accept that dreaming in, in that sense or accept that you know, wish well positive thinking <laughs> um, or or is it something else and and can we get a bit more safety from things like well they, they do have an existing business that's very willing to that, that spins off tons of free cash flow right that that builds up their cash capability and and they, they have obviously won something so you know it's it's very exciting and, and they have a good track record and they might win again um that's a million dollar or even a billion dollar question right uh, which is you know the truth is that facebook has one not just one wave of technology but multiple waves of technology right is obviously one you yeah. uh social networking in terms of the facebook side there's also one instagram right which is about you know photo sharing uh you also one with whatsapp right which is the de facto status quo outside mm-hmm. air message and wechat um, so, um, and I think they are betting a lot on uh, Meta or Metaverse, uh, but I think maybe an hour of seeing it is VR, uh, virtual reality. And the truth is, you know, I've been an early adopter of VR. I have, uh, you know, the Google Cardboard. I have, you know, the first iterations of each of these headsets. Um, and, you know, I think, for example, personally, I believe VR is a huge thing. Um, I think the technology is getting there. It's uh, on a fundamental basis, for example, um, you know, what is it based on, right? I think it's a concept of, you know, can you squeeze in better um, processing power, right? Into goggles, right? Mm-hmm. Like your hardware on your face. 
uh, but also can you uh, have cheaper displays and screens right uh, over that and the weird thing is that as long as there isn't like a you know uh, a spiky um, I don't know supply or demand shock to you know um, micro chips you know and these hardware in China and Taiwan fingers crossed um, you know the truth is that these VR headsets are only going to get better and cheaper over time right is this a function of time and I always tell people all the time it's like when people are like poo poo right and they're like oh you know like you know VR is never going to work etc and I'm like that's like people shitting on radio back in the day and became super popular and then there was like black and white TV. No, people shitting yeah, on the internet. Yeah, you know, exactly. People used to shit on black and white TV. It was like, you know, the real world is more fun than black and white TV and then TV is a billion dollar company, you know, and then, and then color TVs came, which was, you know, and then, and then you know, and then, and then suddenly became TVs, became monitors and laptops, right? In terms of like there and the streaming media and people were like, you know, like, oh, like why use the computer? I mean, my parents used to be like, Jeremy, stop playing, you know, Utopia in a kingdom building game, you know, turn base and don't play StarCraft and Warcraft, go outside and play. And I was like, yeah, I'm happy to pay 50 bucks, etc. That's a billion dollar e-gaming industry that's there today, right? This is built on the fact that, you know, people move from black and white televisions to color televisions and from color televisions to monitors with games they could play, right? And so that's a billion dollar category now. And my point of view is that VR or 3D, um, the concept of 3D um, is really the promise there. And I think there's a huge amount of value that's going to be unlocked in terms of a whole category. However, it's unclear whether it's going to be, for example, the hardware manufacturer that captures that value or whether it's the applications that capture that value. So for example, I mean, you talk about e-gaming, for example, who, who wins, right? I mean, so for example, like people have tried to uh, look at uh, you know, obviously hardware, you know, they're all commoditized, they're competition, they're kind of like uh, airlines, right? So everybody's fighting and obviously they are strong billion dollar companies today. But also to some extent, you could say that, you know, their approach is to be low cost producers of great hardware, right? Uh, and that's to get economies of scale. And that's how they win, right? The market versus, you know, I think there have been people who try to, you know, for example, uh, buy or invest in sports teams, esports teams, for example, right? And those have not turned out well because unlike you know a football team or a soccer team, the rules keep changing, right? You know, uh, so in other words, when you are in golf or uh, in um, you know football or so, so forth, these uh, associations, these organizers are actually you could say like um, they you know you always have the ability to create your own federation or your own competition. You see that in golf, right? And that creates a certain level of uh, healthy tension where the organizers, uh, autonomous or whatever you want to call them, the brackets, um, are, you know, obviously extracting a, a stake of it or take of the of the you know licensing the video and so forth, but they don't have the power and so that you know the teams are able to extract their value and so you can invest you know uh, in football teams and so so forth right, uh, but I think when it comes to like esports teams, the problem is that they're so uh, coded. To the game right and the game has so much power in the sense that it can change the rules it can change the characters it's getting boring they change the meta and so the teams can't get out they can't go to a lower cost league they can't go to a lower cost geography so you know they end up being um the suppliers of talent and moments to the real flywheel which is the publishers right which is like blizzard activision which has been acquired yeah. uh you know uh by 
platforms are trying to be all in ones. Microsoft is kind of like, you know, like, oh, you know, we don't see, you know, we see this as a very small acquisition. And you're like, whoa, wait a moment. This is a hardware all in one combo. We're streaming. They have, you know, you know, you have Game Pass on, um, you know, you have Minecraft, you're going to have Blizzard and all these other folks. You know, it's a incredible asset. And so historically, the hardware, now they're becoming hardware and software plus games. I'm just an example, right? And so if you want exposure to e-gaming as a category, you'll be like, maybe you buy Microsoft, right? <laughs> you know, because you know, in the past, you'd be like, oh, I'll buy something else. But now maybe it's just Microsoft, right? Isn't that crazy? Um, and so maybe like Facebook or Apple, they also have their bets, right? Or, you know, augmented reality or... Uh, you know, virtual reality. So, and then they're, they're adding other stuff like metaverse, but it's the concept of monetization, transactions, community. Um, you know, I personally find it very hard to bet against it. I personally believe in it. I personally say it's a billion dollar category. But what I would say is that it's now unclear who will capture the value within that ecosystem. Um, so that's interesting to find out. Yeah, I, I think that that's the interesting point right so so there's really you know two i mean if you're talking about the next phase and and of course all of these develop on, on waves of technology i mean if you remember what six seven years ago it was google glass which had this whole furor which was really ar glasses and then what you know facebook has with a matter has with ray-ban now you know but but things have changed and and obviously the technology has got better and, and society has become a bit more accepting as well so so you know sometimes it's just the, the right product at the wrong time right? oh for sure uh, but yeah, um, i think that, that you know i always remember that as a, you know i don't remember about over 10 years ago I think there was this uh, viral post on Reddit and all the various memes and it was about of this um, it showed a picture of a Chinese or Asian tourist in this place and she was using a selfie stick basically a long pole and mm -hmm. on the end of that, that stick was a phone <laughs> and she was holding up and taking a photo of herself by herself and then everybody was like laughing at her as if they say like, oh, this woman is forever alone. Uh, this person doesn't know how to do it. This person is like forever lonely. This person is low class. Um, this person has no friends. But she was Cassandra. She was the future, right? That, that, that yeah. you know, <laughs> you, you, you would make you, that smartphones or, or plus selfie stick would become not only popular but the norm right and that we would actually create phones with two cameras now one at the back and one at the front i mean it's crazy in the past they used to call the camera that that's like the front right because you know it's like the front yep. of the camera is this right and then now that's yeah. you know you have two things so 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 you know but she was ahead of a time you know she was like the early adopter who crushed it this little middle-aged auntie asian auntie crushed it right you know um yeah, but I, I and and I guess one of the first live streamers. Yeah. Um, just unfortunate that that she wasn't there to to capitalize on on the whole trend when it became mainstream, yeah. right? So so I think that that's one. It's timing, and and the other is is really ec economics, right? You know, and and in in terms and by that I mean kind of like market structure, where in the last round with like our current mega tech companies that they, they have all managed to become platforms, become gatekeepers, extract a certain. Oh, surcharge we don't want to call it a tax um, on on people who want to use their platform Apple being the biggest but of course there's Google as well you know and and I guess the battle for the metaverse is who is the dominant platform right and and this but this also presupposes that you know 
is the same type of market structure that means that platforms win, which might not be the case. You know, so so I think that there's a lot, and it goes back to us, you know, talking about earlier stage companies that are going. This is just well, not terrible, but this is exciting. But this is, there's also a lot of unknowns. So so you kind of have to, you know, think about the risk and and think about your analysis slightly differently, right? Um, and I, sorry, one I know we're running a bit late. Um, one last question for you. You know, I think a lot of the the way the big tech behemoths have have come up right now is that they have really had one you know good or uh, really key product and then expanded into various verticals you know, and 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 increasingly they they just affect more and more of life right I mean that, that's obviously Amazon with, with AWS and uh, like Alexa with Home and they're in Prime TV and all of that and and it seems as if you know even every company seems to be following that playbook now right so so C has gaming they have you know, e-commerce and they have, well, now they have C-Capital and, and everybody's just trying to grow, you know, in, in different verticals. Do we see that, do, do you kind of see that as a good thing in a sense? And, you know, because we, we are kind of expanding out of their core expertise, right? That, that's one, especially if you're early earlier stage and they haven't really worn their, their first key market. And so, so I think one is, you know, is this necessarily a good thing? And, and two is, you know, when a company tells us, oh, we are going to expand to this, that it's going to be great, we are going to unlock another 500 billion in time, you know, how much skepticism should, should we put into that? Yeah, I mean, I think... Oh, if any. <laughs> well, um, I think, you know, is it is it operationally a good thing? Is it financially a good thing? Is it societally a good thing? Um, you know, operationally, yes, it's a good thing because, you know, they have to be uh, competing all the time, right? They're competing against not just the incumbents that they're mm-hmm. probably, you know, articulating or benchmarking themselves against, but they're also trying to stay ahead of, um, you know, the you know, the thousands of fast followers that are behind them, right? I mean, Uber was, you know, had to fight DD and Grab and Gojek at the same time, right? You know, and Lyft in this core market, right? And so... There's a huge yep. race, honestly, if you think about it, where, you know, even if you figure out the technology or the business model, doesn't mean they get a lot of time. Because, you know, what we, as, you know, capitalism or, you know, that whole order of things, the, the grand bargain a little bit here is that you have to um, fight to survive and you have to fight to do so and you get rewarded financially by the stock market as well as in terms of, you know, profits and shareholders. Um, to keep that whole flywheel going. And if you don't, someone else will do it for you, right? And that's called creative destruction, right? Yeah. Which is that if you don't do it, someone else is going to do it eventually because the shareholders are incentivized to find and invest in someone else who is going to be able to achieve that growth, right? And so um, operation is a good thing because, you know, these companies are designed to grow, designed to become more efficient. Um, I think where, you know, I think the financial shareholders or investors have to be thoughtful about is your conviction in the team's ability to execute that. And that's actually a very difficult thing to judge because obviously you don't, they historically may not have had a lot of exposure to the press. They may be relatively young. Uh, they may not necessarily have a prior history of working at or leading other public companies. And the truth is a lot of these founders and executive teams have historically built and run companies that have been private. And I may not necessarily clear mm-hmm. about how to, for example, operate in, in terms of a public company. There's a lot of additional public compliance requirements that slow the company down. And lastly, you know, obviously they may not necessarily have the great, you know, finance leader, etc., to be able to clearly articulate their story well to the stock market, right? And so the truth of the matter is, you know, there are just as many 
uh, technology uh, growth stocks um, that are obviously maybe overperforming uh, in terms of the public performance versus their actual metrics. But there are just as many companies from my perspective that are underperforming their actual growth potential uh, in the fundamental metrics and execution capability because the team hasn't been able to best articulate their vision or the market has not yet come to understanding what the true value of that uh, technology disruption and innovation is, right? And lastly, I think, you know, society is a good thing, right? Because basically what I was saying is, you know, for, you know, over, you know, 100,000 years, you know, humans basically had the same GDP per capita and the same energy consumption. Uh, in, in other words, we ate berries, we killed whatever we could we chase. Uh, and, you know, the truth is only over the past couple hundred years has there been a tremendous improvement in obviously our uh, living standards, our health, our sanitation, and all of that has been predicated on technology, right? You know, the technology of electricity, steam power, um, you know, cars, all that stuff. Heck, you know, burning dinosaur goop to power all of those devices. Yeah. All of that has been, um, you know, based on, you know, retail and shareholders and investors investing in promising technology uh, and companies are promising to capitalize and raise ahead and do that, right? And the net effect of that, even though some stocks rise and fall and some stocks take fa uh, faster to rise and fall and some stocks are, you know, have that long super become, from our perspective, indomitable, right? Like General Electric was indomitable for a long time from the time of electricity, right? It's kind of crazy if you think about it. Um, you know, you know, the net effect of that is that all of us benefit because, you know, the market is uh, saying, uh, say, let's experiment to figure out what's the most productive use of this capital in terms of technology. And in inverse, if the technology investment is not proven productive, on net effect, we'll pull out the investment, it'll show up in the stock price, right? And so that is, is yep. humongous uh, for all of us. Um, and that's why, you know, uh, you know, we're making more progress on VR, on uh, longevity on pharmaceuticals than we did in the next 10 years, we're making more progress in them than we did over the past 10 years because the rate of tech that adoption, the rate of that technological change is just accelerating and things that we used to think were impossible, uh, things that, you know, we used to think that we would never go back to the moon, right? You know, because it was way too hard. People used to write that. They said, we'll never go back to the moon because it's too hard, right? And people, and, and, People say like, we're never going to do nuclear fusion, right? Because it's too hard. And But now things that were too hard are just starting to fall down like flies, right? You know, uh, and this, I think it's, I think we're entering a new um, age of human endeavor powered by the public stock markets who are, uh, and whether you make money or not, that's another question altogether. Uh, but, you know, it's <laughs> tremendous that we... But, yeah. Well, hopefully you have a better life, even if you don't really... Exactly. You know, you're, you are incentivizing founders and VCs and uh, governments to, you know, uh, uh, invest in the future. Cool. I think that's a nice way to end it, actually. <laughs> did, did you have anything else you wanted to add before I let you go? Yeah, you know, I'd love to add that, you know, if you found this conversation fun um, and you wanted to hear more... You know, do feel free to go to www.jeremyao.com uh, to learn more. Um, because what we do is we profile Southeast Asia tech leaders' uh, journeys across Southeast Asia. So you know, Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, Indonesia, Vietnam, Philippines, um, and you know, we're looking at founders, operators, executives, venture capitalists, angels. Uh, but I think we're just looking at you know, identifying and building the future, um, and how to stay human while we get there. Nice. 
All right. Um, yeah, if you do, Joel, we'll put it in the show notes so definitely people can check it out. But thanks for your time, right, Jeremy. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Hey, coconuts. So I hope you learned something useful today. Definitely recognize that investing is a personal decision. We are not giving you recommendations here, but are always happy to geek out with you about different interesting companies and trends for the future. This series definitely has a lot more depth than terms, and we want you to tell us what stock to analyze. So if you have any feedback or ideas, do drop us a line through our socials or email us at hello at thefinancialcoconut.com. See you in our next episode.